And welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book By Searching by Isabel Kuhn with permission of OMF International. And we are reading Chapter 11, Part 2. I rose from my knees with a different attitude. Instead of resentment, there was alertness to watch and see if these three, pride, disobedience, and rebellion, were there lurking in my camp. The town of Mansoul should not protect them if detected. This brought me into peace, even though I always shrank from the memory that I was to be watched for their appearance in my life. Later, I learned in a most unexpected way of my detractor's identity. Then I knew the reason for her hostility. She was a teacher in a school I had attended. She wished me to assist her in spying on my fellow pupils. I felt it was unworthy and so had incurred her displeasure by refusing. When I learned this, I was tempted to declare myself with Mr. Brownlee in the Western Council. But should I? I seemed to hear a voice say, If that had been said of me, I'd haven't answered, Amen, brother. And then you haven't told the half of it. Dear old Ray, he was right. Why try to make the mission think that I was lily white? They'd have personal experience before long as to just how earthly a person I was. No, Lord, I whispered, I won't bother the mission with it. But how princely of you to let me know. It's like a miracle. Only you could have done that. For the Lord is always kind, be not blind, kind, to let me end up at Moody, where I had striven to be so faithful under such a cloud, to let me begin with a CIM under such a stigma, kind? Yes, you see, the Lord knew that there was work to be done in Vancouver before I sailed for China. If I had ended up institute life with a great display, I would quite possibly have wrecked the work that was a very great outset. My self-confidence needed to be thoroughly jarred before he dared put this delicate affair into my hands. He jarred it all right. My master is thorough, and no one worketh like him. But he had also been meticulously kind. Just as soon as he dared, he showed me why. That after graduation ceremony, experience of his enfolding love has blessed me all my life. Only by searching can we find out what he is. To jump ahead of my story again, but to complete this little matter, when the door did open for China again, Mr. Thompson wrote me a letter. I cannot quote it verbatim, but it ran like this. I have never mentioned to you that the little condition of the Toronto Council. From the first, both Professor Ellis and I felt that there was a mistake somewhere, and I want you to know that so thorough was our confidence in this that I have not felt it even necessary to call the Western Council together. I telephoned each one of them, and we all want you to know that you are accepted by the China Inland Mission unconditionally and unanimously. Every one of them said that, and our loving prayers and blessings go with you. I bowed my head over that little letter and wept tears of gratitude. Yes, my master is thorough. He wounds, but he binds up. His balm of Gilead heals without stinging. It cools and refreshes and stores in every part. He gives a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness and brings beauty out of our ashes. Looks like this chapter ended sooner than I thought it did, so we're going to continue on with chapter 12 for a few more minutes, and that is Vancouver Girls Corner Club. Father and I traveled on the train together from Toronto to Vancouver where my brother Murray met us at the station. It was strange to be together without Mother. It was still more strange to find myself going across the ferry to North Vancouver in order to get home. Father and Murray had rented a four-bedroom bungalow on the 12th Avenue. Dad had one bedroom, I was given the other, and Murray put up a cot in the sitting room at night and slept there. The fourth room was a kitchen. 
A bathroom separated the two small bedrooms and a big basement took my trunk and suitcases. The little place was scarcely big enough for the three of us. There were familiar things in the house. Mother's piano, the well-known parlor chairs, friendly bookcases, and a big fireplace, just like the one in the old home. It was good to be back, and I came to love that little old house on the hill. From the front porch, I could see the harbor and the waters of Broad Inlet, beyond which lay China. There now faced me the need for employment. I must earn my living until the door to China reopened. Was I to go back to school teaching? I would have to sign a contract, and they would not be free to leave if it were the way opened before the contract expired. I felt a great reluctance in spirit to do this. God had led me out of school teaching. I felt it would be like sending Abraham back to the Ur of Chaldeans to return to it. While I was praying and pondering, I received an invitation to speak to the Vancouver Girls' Corner Club, the VGCC, at their evangelical service on the next Tuesday night. Yes, I replied, I would be very pleased to be their speaker. Then hanging up the phone, I asked my father who the VGCC were. Christian business girls banded together to try to win other business girls to the Lord, Father answered. The club was founded by Mrs. Neff, a worker in the big evangelistic campaign held here when you were in your teens. Don't you remember? Well, when the meetings were over, they had a final supper with the converts, and some of the business girls got into the corner to discuss how they could keep together and keep going on after the campaign ended. They decided to form a club and to hold a weekly meeting to bring unsaved friends. Here we are in a corner, one said jokingly. Let's call it the Corners Club. And then that is how it got started, how it got its name. It's a fine work, and I'm glad you're going to speak to them. The next Tuesday evening, Father took me downtown to the club rooms. They had a big lounge overlooking Greenville Street, one of the busiest streets of the city, a small office for their superintendent, and a big dining room where we went for supper. On Tuesday evening, a good supper was furnished for only 15 cents a person. The dessert was always cake, and those delicious cakes were baked and donated by the women's societies in various churches, thus enabling the supper price to be kept low. After supper, the tables were cleared, pushed back, and the chairs arranged for a meeting. A platform and a piano stood at the end of the long room where a bright, evangelistic meeting was conducted for an hour. Christian business girls themselves led this meeting. It was an enjoyable time, I thought. In less than a week, I received a second phone call. It was from the girls' president of the VGCC. She astounded me with an invitation to become their superintendent. I had not noticed that the position was vacant, but apparently they had been without one for some time. We feel shy to ask you to take it, the president said, because we can't afford to pay you the salary you deserve, or even as much as we've paid in the past. Corner Club is run down a bit, and having gone so long without a superintendent, we can give you only $80 a month to start with, but as the work picks up, we hope to increase it. Your hours will not be heavy and will not need to be in the office until 10 o'clock each morning. When I asked what the duties of the superintendent was, she replied, well, to lead and direct the work. Every day at noon, tea, coffee, and milk are sold in the dining room. Business girls bring their bag lunches there and enjoy getting hot drinks to go with them. You'll circulate among these girls, get to know them, and try to lead them to the Lord. Every Tuesday evening, you'll be in charge of the evangelistic service and will speak. The Corner Club has had to draw speakers from various churches in the city during this period without a superintendent, and we would like to pay back our debt to them, so to speak, by having you speak at any of their young people's societies who invite you. This would also advertise the club. And maybe you yourself will create some new activities. Remember, our motto is the other girl. I asked for time to pray about it, and a date was set for my answer.
Nothing else was offered to me, and as I waited in prayer, I felt the Lord wanted me to accept this invitation. So it came about that I became the superintendent of the Vancouver Girls' Corner Club for 1927 and part of 1928. I had stipulated that the moment the door to China opened, I would be free to resign, and they agreed to that. I now entered upon a fascinating period of my life. Corner Club was run by Girls' Board, a women's board, representatives from different churches and denominations in the city the superintendent, and a business manager. The business manager was a godly middle-aged woman whom everyone called Mother Fitch. Mrs. Finch was one of those energetic saints who was described as being full, full of good works, and she had not enjoyed a higher education but had been taught of the Spirit. She lived for the glory of God and for the winning of souls. There was no big evangelistic effort in Vancouver without Mother Finch having a hand in it somewhere. The city missions were enriched by her prayers and practical services. Realizing that God had not trained her to for platform work, she humbly accepted any mundane service, cooking, serving, or even scrubbing, and prayed it into ministry for a blessing. Every Sunday, she went to the jails to preach. During the week, she ran the kitchen department of the Corner Club. Needless to say, I found her a kindred spirit, although she must have been more than twice my age. We were a funny-looking team, but always a united one. The girls' board were elected by members of the club. I was only 25 years old by now, and most of the girls' board, I think, would have been a bit older than that. But our times together are among my happiest memories. I've always felt that my corner club girls were among the loveliest young women that God ever made. They were ready for any venture that would win souls, but they were also a very merry group. The club rooms resounded with laughter and fun in between the earnest prayer meetings and discussions. I did not meet the women's board immediately, and Mother Finch laid hold of me early in that first week with a warning. Isabel, she said, I'd like to suggest to you that you do away with the women's board. They are not spiritually minded like the girls' board, and I think they may be a drag on you. I believe God has sent you here for a red-hot soul-winning campaign, and I'm behind you 100%. You preach and I will cook. I know my place. The women's board won't allow you to give a call to decision on Tuesday nights. I'm afraid you will meet with other restrictions. The club does get support from their churches, and they would cut it off if the board, women's board was dissolved. But I am willing to live by faith like Hudson Taylor, and I am sure you are too. I think you could talk the girls into agreeing. They are anxious to give you a free hand to direct things as God leads you. This was a delicate situation into which I had come. I was young, inexperienced, and the words red-hot soul-winning campaign thrilled my soul. To give up a salary and live like Hudson Taylor would be heroic the strongest kind of appeal to me at that time. It was many years before a quiet article in the CIM's private news bulletin alerted me to the danger of missionary heroics. The article pointed out that just because a line of action is difficult, painful, or dangerous does not necessarily prove that it is the will of God. A simple illustration was cited. A call for medicine comes in the middle of the missionary's meal. She jumps up, leaves her food half-eaten, and rushes off to answer. That may seem noble and sacrificial on the surface, but in reality, it would be foolish and harmful. Of course, I'm not referring to life and death emergencies when promptness is a duty. I mean an ordinary medical call. The messenger has probably dilly-dallied several times all already, and an extra 10 minutes wait until the nurse's needed nourishment is properly eaten will hurt no one. As I read the article, I recognized my own behavior pattern with a deep chagrin. I was not given to breaking out my meal times, but I had been guilty of other extremes of conduct. 
Some natures are so open to this temptation than others, and mine is one. So at this time of my youth, Mother Finch's suggestion appealed to me as quite possibly the highest line of conduct. I was cautious, however, and told her we must pray much before doing anything so radical. I believe it was that very evening when I met the president of the women's board. She was a warm-hearted Scottish woman who shook hands with me, giving me a hearty welcome to the corner club. And then she added, You're a candidate of CIM, aren't you? I'm good friends with Mr. and Mrs. Charles Thompson. And he told me to keep an eye on you and let him know how you get along here. She beamed at me cordially, perfectly unconscious that she had just brought a whiplash down over my shoulders with a sting. I never for a moment thought that Mr. Thompson had betrayed our secret to her. Charles Thompson was a godly Scotsman and a soul of honor and common sense. I was sure that Mrs. Mack did not know the full implication of what she had said, but I saw in the second that I was in no position to begin my superintendent's career by dismissing her. Some more gentle method must be found. The Lord used this whiplash to guide me into a better road. I told Mrs. Finch that I felt we should go slowly and try what prayer could do first. She sighed, but never refused a challenge to pray. The day was to come when the president of the women's board would kneel beside me in that little office with tears. Thank God that he had brought me to Corner Club. Likewise, with tears in my heart, I thanked him for keeping me from the precipitate action which would have wounded this dear life and hindered the accomplishment of his purposes. As I gradually met with other members of the women's board, I found a group of women very different in temperament, one from another, but gifted, reasonable, and corporative. They did ask that I issue no calls to come forward for decision. Feeling that the business girls would prefer more decorum and dignity in the Tuesday night services than the usual penitent form method, but they too wanted to see people converted. God blessed the Tuesday night meetings in a quiet way. Not many made an open profession of Christ, which troubled me, but the attendance grew by leaps and bounds. No one knew how difficult I found these services. I was tormented by a fear of having stage fright again or my mind going blank like it had during the MG, MBI graduation ceremony. Many a Tuesday night, as the girls were gaily putting out the hymn books, I slipped down the corridor to the bathroom, the only place where I could be sure I was not seen. Leaning up against the wall, I cried to the Lord for nerve to come back and get on that platform. He never failed me. The stage fright never came back seriously. Gradually, I began to count on his help, and speaking grew easier. Invitations to churches began to come, too. Finding that several of the girls had beautiful voices, I organized and trained a quartet, following the teaching I had received at the Bible school in this. One of the younger members of the women's board had a bell-like contralto voice suited to sing the bass part, so the quartet represented both the girls and the women's boards and was a real success. Miss Miller and the Corner Club Quartet began to get calls from all different denominations and our opportunities to witness for the Lord multiplied. Often we took our suppers to the club and ate before leaving as a team for the church of the evening. Then the dining room rang with laughter. All four had a keen sense of humor and the relaxation from their office work prompted a bubbly of youthful spirits. But always the evening's work was brought before the Lord in earnest petition before we left. I began to see what a power a Christian business girls club could be. Through its interdenominational character, it was quietly reaching out and challenging young people's societies in many denominations throughout the city. Well, right now we're going to stop there and we're going to finish the chapter next time. And I love you. I'm praying for you. And bye-bye for now.